Tempos and TKOs, we are live. Episode 10 coming at you. Another mobile podcast from Montana. We can't skip all the MMA action that's going on. Because to be honest, when it comes to fight cards, it's a little light on the UFC side. But we got new fights, um, new MMA news. We're going to talk Ultimate Fighter. I have not had a chance to watch the Dana White Contender Series. Uh, We'll definitely catch that next week. There's lots of boxing drama. We got Bellator action, PFL action. So a stack show for you on episode 10. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. So let's jump right into it. On the UFC, we have some fun matches that have been made. We have um, Fernando Padilla versus Kyle Nelson going down September 16th. Uh, Kyle Nelson off, coming off a big win, looking re- reinvigorated. Sad news, we had the Gastelum Rachmanov fight postponed. Supposedly, it's going to um, get booked again in September, but there are you know, rumors and Shavkat being very active on social media, trying to get another fight booked, so stay tuned for that. I do hope that fight stays. I think that'll be a fantastic matchup. We have Miles John versus Dan Argueta, September 23rd. We have Bill Algeo and Alexander Hernandez, October 7th. That should be a great stylistic matchup. We have Brian Battle and AJ Fletcher in another fun affair. We have David Dvorak versus Tatsuro Tyra, October 14th. And holy cow, man, I mean, Tatsuro Tyra, young stud, he's really been showing off. But jumping into the top 15 against a very established and somewhat desperate David Dvorak, that's going to be a fantastic fight starting the fall off. Uh, This weekend, we have a short notice fight. Terrence McKinney being active, doing what he does best, getting a short notice fight for this weekend's card. We have Israel Adesanya, Sean Strickland, official for UFC 293. Izzy called for it. There was some visa and travel issues, but Sean Strickland and Camp made it happen for the biggest opportunity of his UFC career. We got Daniel Rodriguez, Santiago Ponzinibbio, September 16th. You want to talk about stylistic matchups? That's going to be a banger, no doubt. We got Rodrigo, uh, Rodrigo Nascimento and Dontel Mays, November 4th in the light heavyweight division. Vulcan Ozdemir with another new opponent getting Bogdan Gustav for September 2nd. And then in the women's side of things, a very good matchup. We got Jennifer Maya, Vivian Araujo, October 14th. I'm really excited for that one. And then just this uh, afternoon, it's Wednesday. Jeff Neal officially out of the fight against Ian Gary for UFC 292 next weekend in Boston, which honestly is a heartbreaker. I can't wait to break down that card. But with that being announced just hours before I went live, um, Neil Magny posted signing a contract. Ian asked for Neil. Neil was booked. Neil got the W. That fight makes sense. Neil Magny, uh, he's definitely going to save the day as the Haitian sensation does. Um, I'm sure that's going to happen. It isn't official. Um, we'll definitely post that um, on Boza TKO's Instagram and Twitter once we find that out. But other than that, we have a couple weeks of The Ultimate Fighter. Um, I watched the last episode last night. So we got two episodes to recap here. And then um, the finale uh, going to be happening on, on the 292 card. But... Man, how about Tamor Valiev, Brad Katona? You know, 
when I saw that Tamor got released from the UFC, I was kind of scratching my head. And you could pretty much say the same thing with Brad Katona. Um, but this was an amazing fight, man. High action. This looked like a UFC fight. Um, it was a UFC quality fight. Brad just wasn't throwing a lot of combos as the fight went on. Uh, a lot of one-twos where Tamur was very active with multiple shots, following up with kicks. Uh, I thought he mixed in the kicks and combos brilliant, brilliant, brilliantly through the three rounds. And some of this could have been because Brad ate some massive shots early in the round. You know, I don't know if he was all there throughout the whole fight, but he's in such good shape. He's such a veteran. He's just going to do what he knows how to do, and that's fight on instinct. Honestly, I was super impressed with the endurance by Valiev. Um, you know, three-round fight after having to make three wait three times already. He had the fight where his other opponent had staph infection. He had to make weight again, making weight here. I was a little concerned as the fight went on about his endurance, and he clearly showed uh, that that was not a big deal. And um, to be honest, I thought this was a highway robbery. I thought Tamor Valiev clearly won this fight. Um, I was really shocked that Brad Katona won this fight. I don't know if there's something to go on with McGregor and some biases that's going on here. We've, we've had a ton of judging instances and issues in the UFC. I'm sure a lot of these judges are the same UFC judges. So it's really kind of questionable to understand what the hell has been happening. But I thought Tamor Valiev debatably won all three rounds, absolutely won round one and three. So I'm not too sure really what happened in this fight. Um, I think Tamor is getting robbed. I hope he gets a UFC opportunity. Potentially he gets added to a card or maybe even the finale card with another opponent. I'm sure Dana White's going to provide him an opportunity. He deserves it. Uh, Islam Makachev came in on that episode and was hyping them all up. I just hate to see as hard as it is to make the UFC clearly stick with the UFC as quality of a fighter as Tamor is. That happened. That's heartbreaking. I feel for the guy. Um, we should all on... Uh, social media fight for Tamor to get a spot in the UFC. Now, um, outside of the Ultimate Fighter, oh no, that was two episodes ago. We had an episode last night. I mean, these guys were saying I we're going to clang and bang. It's going to be a uh, uh, one hell of a fight, and boy, was that fight one hell of a fight. I thought that this was probably the the high, the best quality fight and the best back and forth action that we've seen in the Ultimate Fighter. You know, Dana White's loving this. There's been a couple kind of not so quality fights. And this one, sure in the hell, was awesome. And um, it just shows you the the heart, the 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 resilience that these guys have ha had to fight with. You know, they're the veterans coming back into the Ultimate Fighter, having to deal with this, be in the house with a bunch of men, try to get their thing right. They're on the same team. They're friends. But, oh, my goodness, did they go for it. And... Um, there's so much on the line for these guys. They were taking so many shots, so much damage. They just had to find a way to get the victory. And you feel for them a little bit. But I was just massively, massively impressed with what I, I saw. Um, I got I don't have their names down here, so I want to get their names right here. Let's see. So we had... Kurt Hollibaugh and Jason Knight. Jason Knight was beat up, brutalized. Kurt Hollibaugh is a very, very good, well-rounded fighter. I thought his last fight was very, very close to call. And he came in with heavy hands and gave it anything and everything. 
Uh, Michael Chandler even said maybe there's some Jacqueline Hyde he's been playing throughout the house. You know, when you have to fight so many times in, sh in, in such a short span, some fighters fight twice a year, maybe once a year. They're fighting three to four times. There's so much damage that could be taken on the body. But Kurt was willing to take shots from Jason to get in close range and land those powerful shots. So, again, I was very, very impressed. I'm excited to see uh, Kurt Hollibaugh in the finals. We have Brad Katona in the finals. Um, the um, Bantamweight uh, showdown to see who's going to fight Brad Katona is going next week. So, I've enjoyed the show. I know that a lot of people um, think that the Ultimate Fighter hasn't been as good as expected. They want to see a lot of Conor McGregor, and it's the Conor McGregor show. They had the coaches challenge in the ice tub. They were in there for like 15 to 20 minutes. You can see them shaking and jittering. So I've enjoyed it. There hasn't been a lot of in-house things. It's been mostly dedicated on the fighters and the action. But, hey, I'm loving the vet story. Maybe the vets versus the new guys and the prospects wasn't the best idea because basically the vets cleaned house. But I've enjoyed it. I think it's good comeback stories. Who doesn't like a comeback story? And in the world of boxing, we have KSI Tommy Fury, October 14th. This is official. Um, I have not seen KSI fight. Clearly, Tommy Fury won against Jake Paul. If KSI can beat Tommy Fury, then watch out. We have the new, um, you know, video blogger or internet sen sensation leader when it comes to boxing. I highly doubt he'll win, but we'll see. It'll be intriguing. And added to this card, this got announced yesterday, Logan Paul, Dylan Dennis. That's right. Dylan Dennis. He's actually going to fight and... You would almost not believe this would happen, but there is supposedly a $100,000 pullout clause if he does pull out of the fight. So lots of interesting things happening on October 14th. I'll be tuning in. You know, I tuned in this past weekend to Jake Paul, Nate Diaz. I thought this was a pretty high quality fight. Um, everyone's saying it was an amazing fight. I don't know about an amazing fight because Nate just clearly isn't a boxer and wasn't willing to change what he knows as he doesn't have a jab to keep distance. He doesn't have a lot of combinations. He takes a lot of Jake Paul's damage until he gets in close and has his weird angle shots that doesn't look like there's a ton of power behind them. I will say though, after the crazy fury in round one, where Jake Paul, I thought was going to knock Nate Diaz out, which is damn near impossible to, to, to do. Um, you know, Jake looked good, but Nate did have his, his fun towards the later rounds, was able to land some moments. Uh, they talked, you know, they were very good sports um, behind the whole thing. They were talking about maybe doing this in the MMA. Uh, you know, Jake probably would like to do it in PFL. Nate Diaz is not opening to that. I think it's Real Fighting Inc. is his own like the promotion he helps promote is where they would want to fight. But um, it was fun. You know, he had Jake in the guillotine. He talked about, you know, we already saw MMA. I had him in a guillotine, had the single leg. There was some good banter. It was somewhat of a quality fight for a Jake Paul fight, especially as you saw Nate starting to do his thing a little bit at the end. But, man, if you're going to box, box, right? Um, and it didn't seem like Nate was willing to take that on. I did actually watch some of Nate's video blog leading up to the fight. You could see his hand speed, his work, and I was a little bit hopeful. Um, but I thought about betting $100 on Nate or a no-Nate knockdown, and I'm glad I did not. Um, officially, they say that this was uh, one of the most betted uh, boxing fights um, besides uh, the Terrence Crawford-Earl Spence Jr. fight. 
So I'm sure a lot of people put bets on those props who are pretty attractive. But as you would expect, Jake Paul's a favorite for a reason. He's taking this seriously. I don't think Nate really did. But uh, Nate's, you know, excitement still builds on. It did really well. I'm interested to see if they do fight MMA as we have not seen Jake Paul do that. And to give you some viewers of what's been going on, UFC 291 in Salt Lake City for the BMF title. I was there. Uh, had 2 million combined viewers for prelims on ESPN and ABC. So just for the prelims, that's the second most viewed UFC event on TV in the Disney era. And it averaged 1.3 million. The prelims were fantastic. There was a lot of finishes. I don't blame the viewers. Viewers, I was definitely tuned in. And um, there was eight UFC prelim simul simulcast this year, um, which is a 30% increase year over year. So some great numbers from the US UFC here. We also had Spence in the Crawford fight that did 650,000 pay-per-view pay-per-view buys. Each fighter with their payouts is getting 25 million. I thought they would do a million plus buys. It's one of the more hyped fights. I think they got a little shadowed down by the Garcia uh, Tank Davis fight that just happened. You had a mega super fight that hasn't happened in boxing. You followed up with another one. I'm not surprised. But I can't wait to see what the UFC 291 pay-per-view numbers uh, are or were. Let me double check to make sure that that's not out yet. Let's see. I know it takes some time. It's estimated $750,000 buys and a $40 million revenue. So there was a lot of debate. Is the Crawford fight going to do more buys or is UFC 291? My my vote was in UFC 291. I mean, Gaethje, uh, Dustin Poirier, you know, certified banger, 100% going to be fireworks. We got the crazy head kick knockout in round two. So, hey, we have that. That's not final numbers. Uh, but even the estimation's higher than the Crawford fight. Amanda Serrano has officially signed with the PFL. You know, this is all Jake Paul and the doings that he's done. Uh, Amanda Serrano looked good in her win on the Jake Paul um, boxing card. Let's see, uh, I did watch it a little bit. Um, but I didn't get to tune in a lot, but she looks good, man. She's got great technique. She's a hard hitter. Uh, she just beat Heather Hardy via unanimous decision. So she re retained her WBA, WBC, IBF, WBO, and IBO um, featherweight titles. So she's crushing. She signs with the PFL. That's really going to be interesting. Um, Anthony Joshua is supposed to fight Dillian White. That's coming up. But Dillian White had a positive drug test. I'm not too sure for what. So he's going to fight Robert Hellenius on short notice. You know, if Anthony Joshua is fighting, I'm tuning in somewhat or try to catch some of it. Um, but it's a bummer he's not fighting Dillian White. Um, Anthony Joshua, I, I feel like definitely needs some bigger names uh, to keep him really relevant. And I think he's struggling in that department. Uh, obviously, he's taking some losses as well. Dana White Contender Series started first episode last night. That'll be every Tuesday. So uh, we will make sure that we recap those episodes as I've gotten more and more into the Contender Series and the Contender Series alums are taking over the UFC. 
Really bummed about this. Um, UFC 298 this weekend in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It is headlined by Logan Storley, Brennan Ward. You also have Sydney Outlaw taking on Islam Mamedov, Mamedov and Kai Kamaka versus Ahmed Magomedov. There's other fights I know, but those are the fights that intrigue me, the fights that I think are worthy of tuning in. But I was really excited for Wyoming alum 307 representing Bryce Misfit Meredith ended up having an injury and pulling out of his fight this weekend. You know, he's only had one Bellator fight. I think he was like a minus 600 favorite on this. But, you know, I, I'm interested to see his continual development and growth as he pursue, you know, continues his MMA career. So definitely bummed out about that. And then um, Bellator with the big announcement. Bellator 300 announced today. There is four title fights. But the ones that intrigue me, we have Chris Cyborg back. She signs a four-fight deal to stay with Bellator. She's taking on Kat Zingano. That should be a very fun one, although they're both later in their careers. It's typically, you know, life of ex-UFC fighters and uh, um, studs in the Bellator promotion. And then we have Usman Nurmagomedov taking on Brent Primus. That's going to be a great one. Usman looks the real deal and is one of those guys I could see competing very well in the UFC. And then I forgot to preview this last weekend, but there wasn't a lot to preview, to be honest. We did have uh, the PFL featherweight and light heavyweights um, go down as they are getting ready for their um, championship million-dollar fights coming soon. We had Jesus Pinedo, man, wins after Brendan Longning, now gets a first are uh, getting a round two TKO over a very, very good Bubba Jenkins. He's just coming out swinging, hands is still, wanting to get finishes, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, Josh Silvera defeating Ty Flores via a round one knockout. That was a great finish uh, with the knees. And then you may know this guy from the highlight uh, knockout against Joaquin Buckley, but Impa Kasagane defeating Martin Hamlet via round one knockout in the PFL finale for a million dollars boy can your life change sometimes you know gotta root for the guy he's looked uh, looked like the real deal so we had the bellator we had the pfl some boxing and mma news but last weekend we had ufc fight night nashville and we got the pickums back up we're feeling good we went eight and four last week we're 61 and 42 with bows and tkos almost plus 20 we'll keep the picks coming out on social media at Bows and TKO's Instagram and Twitter every weekend. Uh, so make sure to tune into that. And as I get Bows and TKO's further developed, probably start a Facebook group or a Discord or something like that. Give uh, the parlays that I'm betting and recommending uh, so you guys can see my actual parlays and picks. But uh, a couple of fights and uh, things that, or no, we, we broke down the whole card. But um, Marion Santos pulled out or, um, was supposed to be in for Jesse Butler against Sean Woodson. Uh, I believe a week out, Marion Santos could not because of visa issues. So Dennis Buzaksha was able to uh, come in for Sean Woodson. So he had three different opponents in a two-week span. Talk about chaos. He got to stay on the card, and we will break down his fight. But we're going to start in the prelims with the first fight of the night. We had Asu Alm Almabayev. With a round two submission via rear naked choke over Odie Osborne. Performance of the night, 50 Gs. And this was a fight I got wrong. 
but I, I, I talked about it last week. I'm not too surprised. Asu had a quality, quality resume, although this is his UFC debut, and there was a clash of styles here that definitely did not favor Odie, and that was really it. I mean, you look at the, the strikes, there was not much done because Asu was looking to get Odie to the ground as soon as possible. I think he had a blast double after a couple strikes that Odie had, and he was able to have top control. Odie was able to somehow survive uh, a submission attempt at the end of round one. Round two, Asu gets a, a, a quick takedown, gets the back, sinks in the rear naked choke. Welcome to the UFC, Asu. So... Statistically, Odie only landed eight total strikes, four of those significant, compared to Asu's 52 total strikes and 26 significant, a lot of that ground and pound. He did get two takedowns in five attempts, so Odie did shrug a couple, and he did have those two submission attempts. So Odie now starts a new losing streak. He moves to 2-2 two and two since 2022, and Asu extends his winning streak to 14 Wins his UFC debut. Now, Asu made a great statement uh, win in his UFC debut. Again, against a very good Odie in the UFC. I think a fight with Alan Nascimento, that could be a fun one uh, and an appropriate next step for Asu. And for Odie, how about a fight with Jimmy Flick? I think that could be a fun matchup and uh, a good back on track win for both of, both of those guys. The winner there right back in the mix. And then we had Sean Woodson with a unanimous decision over Dennis Buzakja. Uh, Buzukja. Um, and again, wild, wild situation for Woodson. Multiple opponents, short notice. Uh, Dennis talked about his weight cut as he trains with Aljamain and team and um, made the brutal weight cut, somehow got it in. You could see he was a little zapped from uh, with energy throughout the fight, especially as it went on. But Sean, man, he's a good striker, kept the fight at distance, and really, you know, managed the fight very well. Um, probably bummed not to get a finish in this fight, but a quality, quality performance by uh, Sean, the sniper Woodson. Statistically, huge, huge difference here. Sean landed 163 total strikes, 71 of those significant, and he did have four takedowns in five attempts, so when he wanted to take down, it was there. Uh, Dennis only landed 46 total strikes, 42 of those significant. He did get a reversal and was 0, and 0 for 1 in his own takedown attempts. So Sean technically extends his winning streak to 3. He is 3-0-1 with that draw since the beginning of 2021. And Dennis has a 7-fight winning streak come to an end. He starts a new losing streak in his UFC debut. So what's next? I think... You know, Sean's going to turn around relatively quick. He talked about wanting to fight more times in the year as long as he's healthy. How about Darren Elkins, a veteran, or Daniel Pineda? I think those would be great fights. And for Dennis, how about Blake Builder, El Animal, um, who just come off a loss as well? And how this fight did not get a bonus, I know that the bonuses were to the finishes. I think it's highway robbery. We had Cody Durden with a unanimous decision over Jake Hadley. And I was in shock this whole fight. The volume, the scrambles, the reversals. Both guys in deep, deep waters could have lost the fight at one point. And they were able to overcome it. Put on one hell of a fight. I am shocked both men um, were able to not get finished. Either by damage or submission. And I thought the round two in this fight was one of the best rounds I've seen. 
And this is what makes the flyweight division so fun is the high intensity, the high pace, the speed, the quickness, the scrambles that these guys possess. And both men, bravo, tougher than nails. Um, they had a fight against very, very tough adversity. And Cody even talked about um, injuring his arm. He's getting MRIs on his shoulder and arm because of that deep arm bar that probably a lot of guys are going to tap to. And, and he just was willing to not do that because he almost almost finished Jake prior in the fight. He, he knew he probably was on his way to a decision victory if he didn't get the finish himself. Just really deep arm bar. Um, you know, again, tough for the nails and bravo to Cody. It's paying off. Hopefully the MRI comes back clean. I haven't looked to see if it, it you know, what the diagnosis is on that. Statistically, Cody landed 63 total strikes, 38 of those significant. He had the submission attempt in four takedowns in six attempts. And Jake landed 45 total strikes, 26 of those significant. He did have three submission attempts, a reversal, and was 0 for 3 in his own takedowns. Obviously, Cody, uh, more of a wrestling background, was more successful with the grappling. But huge win for Cody. There was lots of smack talking in this fight uh, leading up to it. Cody extends his winning streak to four. He is four and one since 2022. He enters the top 15 at number 15. You, you know, you got to love, he's got to love to see a number next to his name. Uh, Well-deserved, hard fought. Jake has his two fight winning streak come to an end. He starts a new losing streak and is three and two in the UFC. So I would love to see Cody Durden take on Sumaderi. I think that would be a, a, another fantastic fight and a good step up for him. And for Jake, he could take on Charles Johnson. Either way, uh, I'm a fan of both of these guys. One, one hell of a fight. And you know this fight was going to show up. I was a little surprised this one was on the prelims. But we had Billy Quarantillo with the unanimous decision over Damon Jackson. Uh, no performance of the night bonus, but very, very good fight. And went to like a traditional Billy Q fight and how I could have drawn it up. I will admit, I didn't expect Damon to have that much success early, though. He was just coming through, pushing through Billy, landing good shots, pushing him back. Um, you know, a little bit of desperation mode for Billy in the first round, got taken down, was just trying to survive to the bell. But round two, you would you would never know that happened. Billy came out, put the pedal to the metal. You could see that Damon exerted a lot of energy in round one, and he just put it to Damon the, the, the next two rounds. He landed more volume. He was successful everywhere he wanted the fight to go, even had a couple submission attempts, um, and it was a great performance. I think, if anything, a takeaway for me is Damon Jackson's tough. You know, he's had kind of a roller coaster of a career, but he did really, really well in this fight against Billy Q and uh, earned a lot of respect for me as a, a hardcore MMA fan. But you got to love you some Billy Q. He's like a modern-day Rocky. Um, you know, for the sake of Billy Q, don't take as much damage and make round one uh, so tough on you because then you got to win the next two rounds or get a finish, and you're not going to be able to do that as you move closer or into the top 15. Statistically, Billy landed 169 total strikes, 100 of those significant. He did have a submission attempt, and Damon landed 75 total strikes, 67 of those significant, but only three takedowns in 13 attempts. So, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Billy Q props on the takedown defense.
So Billy starts a new winning streak. He is 3-2 since the beginning of 2021. Damon extends his losing streak to two, um, which have both been this year. So he's been very active. Um, he did have a four-fight winning streak before the losing streak. He's been on a roll. Both guys, there's not a lack of options for their next opponent. I really like the idea of Billy Q against Nathaniel Wood, who just fought. Or maybe Leroy Murphy, who also just fought on the London card. Um, for Damon, a matchup with Nate the Train, Nate Landaware. That's must-see TV. Could you imagine that? I mean, uh, I would expect a knockout if those two, those two matched up. So matchmakers make it happen. And then what a shocker this fight was. This is a fight we got wrong. Carlston Harris with a round three, round three submission via Anaconda Choke over Jeremiah Wells, 50 G's performance of the night. And uh, Jeremiah Wells had the fight the way he wanted at round one. You know, I picked Jeremiah. I thought he was easily on the path to victory. And then as, as he got tired out a little bit, Carlston was able to reverse him, use his jiu-jitsu, get in a nice deep Anaconda Choke and... All that hard work, you know, leads to a submission. So, um, brutal night for Jeremiah, but he did look good. You just got to be careful. Jeremiah landed 41 total strikes, 18 of those significant. He had three takedowns and five attempts, so was successful in the striking and the grappling. He did have two submission attempts of his own. And Carlston only landed 19 total strikes, five of those significant had the submission attempt and was 0 for 1 in takedowns. So he landed a couple decent shots throughout, but again, this fight was trending to a Jeremiah dominant win. Um, you could even say debatably a 10-8 round in there. Uh, but Carlson caught him, found an opening, got the job done, and that's, that's why you fight. I would love to see Carlson take on Chaos Williams next. I think that would be entertaining. And for Je uh, Jeremiah, how about Elizal Zaleski? I brought a couple of these guys up in other fights, but hey, um, with these wins, great opponents would be fun f uh, fights for the fan. And then a fight I was calling for fight of the night potential. Another fight I thought should have been on the main card. We had Kyler Phillips back from the suspension. Unanimous decision over Rayoni Barcelos. And... Um, it was a high-quality uh, affair, man. Really, it was Kyler being more aggressive and have higher volume with his striking, getting the bigger moments, the bigger damaging shots, and he was able to shut down the grappling of Rayoni, which is not an easy task. So Rayoni was trying to adjust to that throughout the fight, but it was just too little too late as the, the volume and damage that was getting done by Kyler was overwhelming. Statistically, Kyler landed 80 total strikes, 72 of those significant with a knockdown, and he was one for four on takedown attempts. So he even got a takedown of his own and mixed in the grappling just to keep, keep Rayoni guessing at what was coming. I don't think he really wanted the takedown. And Rayoni landed 52 total strikes, 46 of those significant. He did get three takedowns, but in 11 attempts, and when he got the takedown, Kyler was able to scramble up against the cage, get his back on it, and get up. Very good fight. Very fun fight. Kyler extends his winning streak to two now. He is 3-1 and one since the beginning of 2021. And Rayoni extends his losing streak to two. He is 1-4 since the beginning of 2021. What's next? We talked about this on Matchmaker Monday. 
Kyler, Chris Gutierrez. That's the fight to make right in the top 15. And Rayoni, he's been on a skid. If he is still in the UFC, he can fight Casey Kenny in his return fight from injuries and surgeries. Getting into the main card, you know, some of these fights were, were decent early. And again, I thought the other fights should have been on the main card. But we had Ladovic Klein with the unanimous decision over Ignacio Bahamondes. And, uh, you know, no surprise here. The fight kind of went as you expected. Clashes styles. Ignacio had some moments with the strikes. Ladovic came in, closed distance aggressively, mixed in the grappling and striking. And it was just too much for the young Ignacio. Uh, statistically, Ignacio landed 62 total strikes, 43 of those significant and was 0 for 1 in his own takedown attempt. So he did have some moments. He was able to get some strikes landed, but Ladovic um, had more volume than him. 94 total strikes, 56 of those significant, and the thing that really changed the fight, three takedowns and five attempts. We, we clearly know Ignacio, I'm sure he knows, needs to work on that if you want him to fight top-level competition, but he's still so young, shows a ton, a ton of potential. So Ladovic, he's cruising, extends his winning streak to three. He did have a draw in between, but we'll keep the winning streak there for him. Ignacio has his three-fight winning streak come to an end, and he does start a new losing streak. Next, I would love to see Ladovic take on Mike Davis. And uh, for Ignacio, give him a striker. Imagine Ignacio and Fares Ziam. I think that would be a brilliant, brilliant kickboxing affair. Moving on, the return of Tanner Bozer, unanimous decision over Alexa Kamor. And I just wanted to see more from Tanner. Alexa's huge, he's big, he does pack a punch, and clearly can take a punch as he took some big shots. But uh, Tanner went to the game plan of getting Alexa up against the cage, clinching, dirty boxing, wearing on him, wearing on him. And when they were split up, did land some big shots. But where Tanner is in his career, having to kind of move down to light heavyweight after a bad stretch, I would like to see more, you know, risks, some more shots taken. Um, but either way, big win for Tanner Bozer, uh, his uh, second fight at light heavyweight. Statistically, Tanner landed 145 total strikes with 120 of those significant. And Kamor landed 105 total, 68 of those significant while going 0 for 1 on takedowns. Let's see here. So Tanner ends his two-fight losing streak. That's got to feel good. Sometimes you just got to find a way to victory, and I think that's exactly what Tanner did here. Um, he starts a new winning streak. He is only 2-3 and three since the beginning of 2021. Alexa extends his losing streak to 3, and he is now 2-3 and three in the UFC. After two quick wins, he now is on a three-fight skid. So... If Alexa's still in the UFC as well, I think a fight with Zach Pauga would be ideal. And I would love to see Tanner take on Ihor Poteria. I think that would be a, an appropriate next step for him. Moving on, we had Diego Lopez with a first-round submission via armbar over Gavin Tucker. 50 G's performance of the night. And what a brand Diego Lopez is, is bringing. No strikes but is able to use brilliant jiu-jitsu. The transition's amazing. I could only dream of doing that in a real-time uh, competition. And uh, 
He's doing it against one of the better jiu-jitsu practitioners and Gavin Tucker. So the fact that that happened blew my mind. And a reason I picked Gavin is I thought he would have success in the striking against Diego and that Diego wasn't going to be able to, you know, be so far ahead of him in the grappling in this fight. But it was brilliant. And he, he got in a nice arm bar, transitioning off a triangle. Uh, I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful display. But how often do you see this? Statistically, um, Diego won the fight without a strike, but he did have three submission attempts. And Gavin didn't land any strikes either, but had the takedown, which forced the jiu-jitsu from Diego as he was on top. And boy, did Diego uh, make work, slight work of that. So Diego is now um, starting a new winning streak. You know, he took the short notice fight against a top 10 ranked opponent in Movsar. Avloev looked good in doing so. Gets his first UFC victory, so he's now 1-1 one one in the UFC. And for Gavin, he extends his losing streak to 2 and, you know, has been out for some time. Has not won since December of 2020. So where do these guys go next? Let's give uh, Diego another jiu-jitsu match. I would love to see him get Ryan Hall in his return fight. We're talking about a couple guys, Casey Kenny, Ryan Hall, that's been out for a while that are due back soon. I think that would be great and uh, very interesting for fight fans. And for Gavin, how about Steve Garcia? Then moving to the big light heavyweights, I figured this would be a finish, and boy, was it a beautiful one. Dustin Jacoby with a first-round TKO over Kennedy and Zekwashu, performance of the night, 50 Gs. I mean, Kennedy is big. He is a big boy, long reach, looks thick, looks a lot thicker than Dustin. But Dustin's fought big opponents throughout his career is a kickboxing stud and was able to find the opening, sat Kennedy down, got the TKO finish. And Kennedy's young. I expect him with that frame and size to be back up there. But a massive win for Dustin. And I really think he deserves higher uh, ranked opponents now after defending his spot a few times. And he called that out in the mic after the fight. It only took Dustin 10 total strikes and significant with the knockdown. And Kennedy only landed four total and significant strikes. So Dustin ends his two-fight losing streak. He does start a new winning streak and stays at 15. Kennedy ends his three-fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak. So back to the drawing board for him. So what's next? Again, I think Dustin deserves to fight up. I think a great fight for both men. Dustin and Dominic Reyes, who's definitely had some adversity trying to get back on the right track. And for Kennedy, how about a scrap with Alonzo Menafield? Sign me up for that one all day, any day. And then one of the more hyped women in all of UFC right now, Tatiana Suarez, welcome back to the strawweight division, gets a second round submission via guillotine choke over Jessica Andrade. Performance of the night, 50 Gs. And boy, oh boy, was it a beautiful performance. We all know Jessica Andrade is dangerous on her feet. Uh, Tatiana did land some strikes, but went straight to the grappling. Wanted a top win over a top opponent so she could move up the rankings. And now, honestly, is not that far from a title shot. It only took Tatiana 25 total strikes, 23 of those significant. She did have the submission attempt and was 3-for-3 three three in takedown attempts, which we know is somewhat of a weakness of Andrade. But a win like that after so much time off, first time cutting weight to strawweight, 
brilliant performance. That's only a, a, a stock increasing performance for Tatiana. Jessica only landed 13 total strikes and 11 significant. She's been as active as anyone in the UFC, so it'll be interesting to see what she does, especially as she's ranked in both strawweight and flyweight and has bounced around. So what is next? For, well, first, Tatiana stays undefeated. She's on a 10-fight winning streak. She does move to 7-0 in the UFC alone, which is massively impressive. She moves up six spots in the rankings to number four. And Jessica extends her losing streak to three. This year alone, she is one and three. She's had four fights. I would assume we get a fifth this year. And she does stay um, or moves down in the rankings to number six, both in strawweight and flyweight. So really interested to see what's next for Batea Staka. But what's next? I think you do Jan Chagnon versus Tatiana, the number one eliminator spot for the title, as we do have Zhang Lei and Amanda Lemos there. Rose has gone to flyweight, so that's what makes sense for me. And for Jessica, a fight with Mar Marina Rodriguez, that would be nutty, an amazing striking display. So sign me up for that one. And then the main event. Boy, was this just an interesting thing, but things happen. Corey Sandhagen with a unanimous decision over Rob Font. I assume the fight wouldn't be as aesthetically pleasing as a Nurmagomedov fight, but Corey did say he hurt his arm. He showed it on social media, ended up tearing his tricep in round one. And sadly, he's going to be out for six months. Uh, but he did not let Rob Font get the jab working or the boxing going. He looked like a Nurmagomedov going for blast doubles, brilliantly timed, which we've seen his grappling capability. This was the best that I've seen it. And uh, really was just having top control. And the first few rounds, I thought Rob was doing brilliant by not just staying down and accepting the position. He was pushing the hips. He was trying submission attempts. He was going for go-go platas, omoplatas. He was really keeping things interesting. But in rounds three, four, and five, I felt like he was just acceptable of those positions and was wanting to use his jiu-jitsu when maybe he could have went to the cage, which it didn't seem like that's what he was trying to do. Get up, get the fight standing, and try to go from there. And obviously, you know, try to get a takedown defense. Um, so, yeah, not the most aesthetically pleasing fight. I feel for Font. I understand how that can go. Clearly, it's something he can work on in his game. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would say the Nate uh, Diaz-Jake Paul fight what, what was better than the main event here. And when we look at the stats, torn tricep and all, Corey did land 132 total strikes, but only 34 of those significant, so a lot of touchy-tappy stuff on top. Uh, he did have one submission attempt. But the key stat here, 7 for 7 on takedown attempts. The Corey Sandman Sandhagen evolution before our eyes. And Rob landed 25 total strikes, 9 of those significant, with 1 takedown and 2 attempts. But we can't really knock down Corey on this. He's been the uh, you know stylistically um, appealing fighter with the kickboxing. He's shown some grappling. But Aljamain Sterling... And Marab were definitely clowning on him on how it was a boring fight. Welcome to the dark side. Now you know uh, how it is trying to defend your spot. So I was enjoying some of that back and forth. Um, Rob landed 25 total, 9 significant. And he did have one takedown and two attempts. So Corey extends his winning streak to 3. Rob starts a new losing streak. He's 2-3 and three since the beginning of 2021. And Corey stays at number 4 in the rankings. And Rob keeps his 7 spot.
So what's next? Well, clearly, uh, Corey's not going to be fighting this year with a six-month minimum um, timeout with the tricep. So maybe he could come back and get a title opportunity, depending on who's there. If Aljo wins, you talk about moving up. Uh, if he does leave, there's an interim situation. So lots of drama in the bantamweight. So it'll be interesting to see. But I would love to see him fight Henry Cejudo, potentially, if Henry's still fighting. Uh, Triple C still doing the thing in the UFC next year. And for Rob... I think Dominic Cruz could be appealing. You know, I don't know if Dom will take that fight. So maybe Saeed Nurmagomedov, that would be a fun fight as well. But solid card overall. You know, we broke down all these fight cause fights because they were quality fights. Welcome to the UFC, Asu. Sean Woodson, multiple opponents, doesn't matter. He's talking about wanting to be more active. Hopefully that's the case. Highway robbery on the Cody Durden victory. That should have been a performance. Amazing fight. A classic Billy Q showdown. A real big surprise and gotcha with the Anaconda choke from Carlston. Kyler Phillips doing the Matrix-like things. Uh, shocked he didn't get a finish with that head kick. Ludovic Klein finding a dirty victory against a good striker. Tanner Bozer's first uh, win in light heavyweight. Trying to get back on track. Diego Lopez, the jiu-jitsu wizard. Dustin Jacoby with a nice finish. Tatiana Suarez coming for a title. And Corey's still keeping his spot with the torn tricep in round one. So Nashville definitely got what they wanted, you know, got, got their money's worth. But this weekend, very, very shallow fight night card back in the Vegas, uh, back in the Apex. It's fight night Vegas 78. The main card starts at 4 p.m. Pacific. And there's some decent fights that we won't talk about. But you get the Contender Series alumni Francis Marshall taking on Isaac Dolgarian who's making his UFC debut. We have Ultimate Fighter alum Juliana Miller trying to get back on track after a pretty pitiful performance. She's fighting Luana Santos. Josh Fremd is taking on Jamie Pickett. That stylistically could be an awesome fight. And then obviously Terrence McKinney on short notice taking on Mike Breeden. This is a must win if you ask me. I expect him to handle this easily. I don't know a lot about Mike Breeden, but that's, not why, that's why we're not breaking it down. So we're going to start in the prelims. We got Marcus, the Maniac McGee, 33-year-old fighter with a 7-1 record, taking on JP Young Savage Buys, the 27-year-old fighter with a 9-5 record. Now this really is an interesting fight between two men seeking success in the UFC with the other man in his way. I think this is going to be a Clash of Styles fight, but one of the more intriguing fights on the card, so that's why we're breaking it down. So Marcus, he came in on a short notice fight, looked really good in his MMA debut. He trains out of the MMA lab. He's on a three-fight winning streak, and he won his UFC debut only a couple months ago in April. He's an LFA alum, and he shows out. He's a knockout artist, six of his seven wins via knockout. Now, JP trains out of Fortis MMA. If you've been watching Aljamain Sterling's vlogs up to his title, leading up to his title fight next weekend in Boston, he's been training with JP. He's a Dana White Contender Series two times alum. He's a Brave and LFA alum as well. Five of his nine wins are via submission, and three of his five losses are via knockout. Interesting. I do think the pace of this fight is going to be nuts. Both guys are going to come to look to not make this a decision fight. I think JP's going to look for the takedown early and often. I think Marcus is going to be too much on the feet. I think he might get taken down here and there. 
but he's going to have the gas tank to find a way to victory. I expect another knockout victory for the Maniac. That's why I'm putting him on the parlay. We're marking that ish down, and we get in that bread. Moving on to the main card. We got Khalil the War Horse Roundtree Jr., 33 years old with a 12-5 and record, and the number 13 next to his name, taking on Chris Dacus. 33 years old with a 12 and 6 record and the number 14 next to his name. Hold on, get my mic fixed here. Make sure you guys can hear me. So this is another fight with major implications for both men. They're in their primes at 33 years old and a win here really gets them back into the rankings where they deserve to be. A loss here it's kind of like back to the to the to the pit that you don't want to be in and it's hard to get out of the pit you know what i mean khalil he's a southpaw fighter he trains at a syndicate mma he is an rfa and ultimate fighter alum he's on a three fight winning streak and seven of his 11 wins are via knockout now chris has a black belt in bjj he's on a three fight losing streak and has not won since september of 2021 He's a Cage Fury, King of the Cage, and Ring of Combat alum. 11 of his 12 wins are via knockout, and 5 of his 6 losses are via knockout, to knock out, or to be knocked out. I clearly think this ain't going to the decision. I think Khalil has evolved a lot as a fighter. He, he talked about it a lot on the uh, Joe Rogan podcast and going to Thailand and overseas. I think he's more well-rounded than Chris. I think Chris may even look to get this fight to the ground. But I do think this is going to be Chris's last chance in the UFC. He's going to put it all on the line. That makes for an intriguing fight. But I'm putting my pick on Khalil Roundtree, and I'm avoiding this on a parlay if possible. And this fight I'm really excited for. Potential fight of the night uh, pick here. We have Hakeem Mean Dawudu, the 32-year-old fighter with a 13-3-1 record, taking on Cub Killer Swanson, 39 years old with a 28 and 13 record. You put Killer Cub, you cut mean, put Mean Dawudu on a fight card. I'm hyped up, and it's going to be a featherweight showdown, man. You know, Cub did try an attempt at bantamweight. I'm sure it's hard on him at this age, coming back to the featherweight division. Obviously, both men's in a little bit of a different situation, especially when it comes to age, right? Dawudu 32, Cub 39. Cub probably just loving the fight game, just wanting to put on quality performances, keep that highlight reel going. And for Hakeem, this is a push-come-to-shove moment. you got to win this fight if you really want an opportunity in the top 15 and potentially a title. Hakeem has a Muay Thai and kickboxing background. He's an undefeated kickboxing fighter. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-2 since the beginning of 2021. Hasn't been super active, battled injuries. Again, a ton on the line for him. He's a World Series of Fighting alum. Seven of his 13 wins are via knockout. He does have a three and a half inch reach advantage and a two and a half inch leg reach advantage in this fight. Now, Cub has a black belt in BJJ. He's pretty much the third in all featherweight records. So, you know, the top, I'm assuming you got guys like Max Holloway and Volkanovsky. Um, he had the 2016 fight of the year against Du Ho Choi. He did come from the WEC and is a King of the Cage alum. 
13 of his 28 wins are via knockout and seven of his 13 losses are via submission. I think Hakeem is a real tricky striker that you can't just plan for. He comes at you from everywhere. He needs to get a win to get back on track. And Cub obviously wants to finish his career on a high note. I do think Cub might mix in some grappling in this fight. Uh, I think he's going to come. this fight's going to come down to who can really out-endure each other during a three-round fight. I would not be shocked if this fight went to decision. I think it's going to be war. I think it's going to be a bloodbath, much like the uh, Cody Durden-Jake fight. So I'm excited for it. I am taking Hakeem, but I will avoid him on a parlay. I do think the killer cub has a real opportunity in this fight. And then in the main event, we got Vicente the Silent Assassin Luque, the 31-year-old fighter with a 21-9-1 record and the number 10 next to his name, taking on Rafael Dos Anjos, the 38-year-old fighter with a 32-14 record and the number 9 next to his name. Now this is both men in different situations, much like the Cub Swanson fight. It's a main event, five-rounder, which RDA has a ton of experience with. RDA, much like Cub, has bounced around. Uh, he went to lightweight. He's back to welterweight where he's a former champion. I like Luque's striking. It's tough when Luque's coming off a tough loss. Or is it multiple losses? Let's see here. He is coming off. He had to get cleared for this fight by the doctors because he took so much damage against Jeff Neal. Coming off the Bilal Muhammad loss as well. So hasn't won since August of 2021. But he's only 31. I expect to see a lot of growth from him. I think he has a lot of potential in this fight. But RDA's been there, done that, and he has not shown any signs of slowing down. He was well on his way to beating a highly talented Rafael Faziv until that he caught him in the fifth round, and that was a fifth uh, five-round war. Um, I think it's going to be an amazing back-and-forth fight, though. When we look at it, Vicente, he trains out of Killcliffe FC. He has a black belt in BJJ and Luda Livre. Three of his last five fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. He always brings a great fight. He has the second most submission uh, finishes in welterweight division history with 13. He's tied with Steven Thompson for the third most post-fight bonuses in UFC welterweight history. Again, we're in for a show here on the main event. He's on a two-fight losing streak. 11 of his 21 wins are via knockout. 8 via submission. So 19 of his 21 wins via finish. Massively impressive. He's an ultimate fighter and jungle fight alum. And he has a very lengthy 5.5 inch reach advantage. Now, RDA is an orthodox fighter. He has a fourth degree black belt in BJJ. He has a black prajid in Muay Thai. He's the former UFC lightweight champion. He's got the longest total fight time in the UFC history with over eight hours, just barely. He has the most unanimous decision wins in UFC history with 11. I can see another one coming. He's got the second most decision fights in UFC history with 20 of them things. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 2-1 since 2022. He's also a Fury FC alum, and 11 of his 32 wins are via submission. Now again, 
RDA has looked great in his last few fights. I think not cutting the weight and coming back to welterweight is going to help him with the endurance. I liked his game plan in his previous fights, and I think the way he was on his way to defeat Fazeev until he got caught is going to be much of the game plan here, as I think Luke is going to try to use that length, keep RDA at distance, pick him apart from distance with his kickboxing. He does have some powerful hands, and RDA is going to want to look to get in, get it close, Probably have quite a few takedown attempts, get some top control time, tire Vicente out to get those hands opened up later and as he gets as he gets Luque into the deep waters. But I think RDA is going to come in with a very experienced and well-measured game plan. I think it's going to give him the decision victory. I am taking RDA on that parlay. I am marking him down, and we gain that bread. So not a very deep fight night card, but the main event should be fun. I love to see Cub Swanson back in against Hakeem. That's going to be a great fight. And we get Khalil Roundtree uh, in the fight card as well. But next week, it's going down a very, very fun UFC 90, 292 card in Boston, Massachusetts. Headlined by the Sugar Show and the greatest bantamweight of all time, Aljamain Sterling. Can't wait. And we're going to be breaking that down here in Montana. I'm here for most of August. It's about to storm now, a nice little August storm. I've enjoyed escaping the heat out of Phoenix. But it's episode two of Boza TKOs. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you next week.